So tonight I'm going to talk about grief. One of the reasons I'm focusing on it is because today is September 11th, day when many Americans lost their lives, so it feels important to remember that by focusing on grief, but also because I'm dealing with a lot of grief in my own life. So I'll begin with a poem about grief. This is by David White. Those who will not slip beneath the still surface on the well of grief, turning down in the dark waters to the place we cannot breathe, will never know the source from which we drink, the secret water cold and clear, nor find in the darkness glimmering the small round coins thrown by those who wished for something else. What I love about that poem is it, it so skillfully contrasts sort of an older mythological or spiritual worldview with a very secular worldview. The dark waters, the hero descending into dark waters, that's a, an ancient mythological image, the night sea journey of the hero. Um, we see in Beowulf, for example, going down into the dark lake. And, and even baptism, to some extent, is a, is a kind of, as it were, watered-down version of that. You know, the, you know, at one point, baptism was a full immersion now, you know, most denominations now, it's just a, a sprinkle on the forehead. And in archetypal psychology, those dark waters represent our unconscious, our feelings, especially all the feelings that we don't really want to make room for, you know, all the feelings that we've, we've pushed away or um, for one reason or other have not confronted. And so you might say a more mythological worldview or, or spiritual worldview is about diving into that well, confronting the things that we haven't felt, confronting the difficult feelings, going to the place where it feel, we would feel that constriction, where it feels like we cannot breathe. And it's through that confronting that we, we taste this inner source, what he calls the secret water, cold and clear. And so this is very much, um, you might call it a mythological worldview, a spiritual worldview, it's also the path of healing. As opposed to a very modern secular worldview, when modern secular people come to a well, they don't think about going down the well, they throw a coin in. You know, pay a substitute, essentially, you know. And to some extent, you might say, that the wish they make is the wish that they don't have to go down into the well themselves, you know. You know, it's very much a worldview, and especially in 2023, very much a worldview of, I don't want to feel that, I'm going to feel something else. You know, this, uh, this idea that we can uh, order feelings a la carte in this life.
and this says so much about grief and and it it it's such a powerful way to frame grief i think the wisest advice i've ever heard about grief very simple let yourself feel everything very simple to say very hard to do course in the intense feeling say after a major loss grief can be very intense feels like a you know one's heart is just blown open um and then there's just this whole sequence of changing shifting emotions that come with it sometimes rage or anger sometimes confusion or disappointment or regret you know, all these are part of the cycle of grief. You know, and so letting ourselves feel grief is not about letting ourselves feel just one thing. It's about letting us feel many different things. Sometimes contradictory things or illogical things. If someone says they can't hear me. Interesting. Usually, usually, usually not hearing me is not a problem. And so, to some extent, the, the difference between these worldviews was summed up uh, nicely by Reisman Menekin in his distinction of clean pain versus dirty pain. Clean pain. Something happens, it's difficult, we face it, we deal with it, we feel, we feel through it, and then we're done with it. Dirty pain, something difficult happens, and we say... I don't want to feel that. We push it away. You know, and we know to some extent we're being kind of dishonest with ourselves, but I don't really want to feel that. And it's the the paradox of dirty pain that well we don't necessarily feel the full intensity. We escape the the full intensity of what we might have felt if we felt it directly. It's almost like we're paying a tax on it forever, you know, and it's following us forever. Um, it's a, how can I say, it's an extremely bad investment, you know, it's like credit cards. You know, when we don't allow ourselves to feel grief, that grief follows us. It haunts us. You know, it it takes away our capacity for joy because we can't really feel full joy unless we've allowed ourselves to feel full grief. One way we fight it, fight feeling it, is to go into the head. Some people try to escape the, I think it's very common, try to escape the intensity of the emotions by short-circuiting it. Go into the head. You know, but the irony is the head, even though it feels very different, feels very distant from the intensity of the emotions, feels like a world that we control. We, we, we have this illusion that we can actually control what happens in our head. Um, the head tremendously multiplies pain and can multiply it with all kinds of stories and 
stories about regrets and things I should have done differently and why did this happen to me and all this. And part of what is difficult is the secular worldview that we're all in, the secular worldview that denies death, that focuses on life, that ignores death, you know. Because then when someone experiences loss, the feeling is, I must be the only one experiencing this, you know. It's so important that we go through a big loss to find support groups, to find people that we can talk to that have been through the process of grief, you know. Because the truth is, at any one moment in time, millions of people are grieving on this planet. It is, it is a rich and deep part of the human experience. And when I'm deep in grief, I'm participating with all the others who have experienced loss in some ways. You know, and we, we think of, you know, we think of war zones and catastrophes, things like this. But, you know, I mean, even in the relatively safe United States, there are children who die every day. And for, and for every child, there is years and years of parents grieving that child, you know. Another part of grief is giving, giving ourselves permission to feel grief in a variety of circumstances. You know, obviously if we lose someone we love dies, all right, obviously we're gonna feel grief for that, you know. But losing a job, romantic breakup, you know, allowing ourselves to feel the grief of that process. Sometimes a very happy process, even say if I were getting married, like that might be overall a very good thing, but parts of my life are ending in order to make room for this new experience, you know. So part of it is being comfortable feeling the grief that might even be the edge of a celebratory experience, you know. So all this is is about grief, about losses that we encounter in everyday life. But there's there's really a whole other layer to grief. And that layer has to do with childhood wounding. You know, and really all of us, insofar as we are wounded in childhood, that almost necessarily is dirty pain only because children don't have the capacity to deal with things. So they necessarily shut off parts of themselves rather than be with the thing that's overwhelming, you know. And think about it, like the the child who says essentially or is conditioned to say you know that's a part i never want to feel again essentially that is a a childhood part of the psyche that as it were is locked in a closet and forgotten you know and of course you know obviously locking a real child in a closet and forgetting them would be an over-the-top horrific kind of abuse um it would be very damaging to that child. And that child would feel grief, among other things. Uh, Every part of us that is not connected to life, 
not connected to love and connection, feels grief because it's separated from them. You know? And it may be that we're we're kind of aware of this dimly as a, you know, I feel like a loser, but I'm not sure what I've lost, you know, like this kind of thing. Um, but often when an external loss stimulates our grief, all those places that feel grief complexify the grief of the moment. You know, the grief of, of any one moment can be complexified by all the parts of us that are holding this kind of longer grief. Because the truth is, every part of us wants love and connection. Every part of us is made by love, is made of love, and is made for love. Even the inner critic, even the voice telling you that you're worthless or you're not good enough or whatever, even the place where that voice is coming from is made for love. You know, and the the paradox is the more that we can embrace going into our own dark waters, sitting with our recent griefs, sitting with our old griefs, you know, um, integrating all of that, um, the more resilient we're able to be in the face of any new loss. You know, last week I, I brought up this phrase that Tara Brock likes to use the heart ready for anything. You know, and part of a heart ready for anything is is feeling fully anything in the moment. Feeling fully anything that that life presents to me, feeling fully anything that is triggered in me, you know, feeling all of that fully. The woman who used to run this sangha, Rain, always liked to say, feelings just want to be felt. So I wanted to talk about grief today because some of you know this is the last time I'm leading this Sangha in this room. I've led hundreds of meditations in this room. I've done workshops in this room. I've experienced tremendous healing in this room. And I'm, you know, in some sense losing this room. I mean, I'm sure I'll be back a couple more times, but, you know, my relationship to this room now is very different, you know. And so feeling all of that. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll share it with the Zoomies. if I can just bring this stack to you. So at the top I have the poem by David White that I recited at the beginning. From C.S. Lewis. 
We were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accept it. I've gotten nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others. And in reality, not in imagination. And I'll, I'll echo also, you know, I, I experienced some significant losses in my teenage years, including the loss of my father. Um, it's a funny thing about, about loss. Even when you kind of know in your head, yeah, it could happen, it could happen, you don't really believe it. Like some part of you is unable to conceive of it until it happens. You know, and so there's a way that that a powerful experience of grief almost casts us into a realm of life that is inconceivable. Eric Frum said, to spare oneself from grief at all costs can only be achieved at the price of total detachment, which excludes the ability to experience happiness. Ajahn Chah, while holding a beautiful teacup, says... To me, this cup is already broken because I know its fate. I can enjoy it fully here and now. You know, and each one of us is that teacup. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said, The reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal and you will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. You will be whole again, but never the same. Nor should you be the same, nor would you, should, would you want to be. The Jungian psychologist Marion Woodman said, This is your body, your greatest gift, pregnant with wisdom you do not hear, grief you thought was forgotten, joy you have never known. Jack Cornfield said, Grief and loss and suffering, even depression and spiritual crisis, the dark nights of the soul, only worsen when we try to ignore or deny or avoid them. The healing journey begins when we turn toward them and learn how to work with them. When we stop fighting against our difficulties and find the strength to meet our demons and difficulties head on, we find that we often emerge from our difficulties stronger and humbler and more grounded than we were before we experienced them. To survive our difficulties is to be initiated into the fraternity of wisdom. Sharon Salzberg said, no matter how much we want it to be otherwise, the truth is that we're not in control of the unfolding of our experiences. This is from an essay by David White. The only choice we have as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability, how we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with our disappearance our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely, as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never fully walking through the door. From Arthur Golden, Grief is a most peculiar thing. We're so helpless in the face of it. It's like a window that's, that will simply open of its own accord. 
The room grows cold and we can do nothing but shiver. But it opens a little less each time and a little less. And one day we wonder what has become of it. Lauren K. Hamilton said, You cannot die of grief, though it feels as if you can. A heart does not actually break, though sometimes your chest aches as if it is breaking. Grief dims with time. It is the way of things. There comes a day when you smile again and you feel like a traitor. How dare I feel happy? How dare I feel glad in a world where where my father is no more? Then you cry fresh tears because you do not miss him as much as you once did, and giving up your grief is another kind of death. Jandy Nelson said, My sister will die over and over again for the rest of my life. Grief is forever. It doesn't go away. It becomes part of you, step for step, breath for breath. I will never stop grieving Bailey because I will never stop loving her. That's just how it is. Grief and love are conjoined. You don't get one without the other. All I can do is love her, love the world, emulate her by living with daring and spirit and joy. Elizabeth Gilbert said, Deep grief is sometimes almost like a specific location, a coordinate on the map of time. When you are standing in that forest of sorrow, you cannot imagine that you could ever find a way to a better place. But if someone can assure you that they have stood in that same place and now have moved on, sometimes this will bring hope. Sarah Dessen said, Grief can be a burden, but also an anchor. You get used to the weight, how it holds you in place. Rachel Hawkins said, It sucks that we miss people like that. You think you've accepted that someone is out of your life and that you've grieved and it's over. Then bam, one little thing, and you feel like you've lost that person all over again. Caitlin Dodery says, Accepting death doesn't mean you won't be devastated when someone you love dies. It means you will be able to focus on your grief, unburdened by the bigger existential questions like, why do people die or why is this happening to me? Death isn't happening to you. Death is happening to us all. And finally, Elizabeth Matadnamuel says, I have a personal koan. How do we live a life that we can't hold on to? How do we live with the fact that the moment we're born, we move closer to death? When we fall in love, we sign up for grief. How do we reconcile that gain always ends in loss, gatherings in separation?